Hi again, listeners, and thanks for downloading the latest episode of the Fantasy Animation Podcast. If you're a fan of the podcast and want to support us, then please do think about subscribing. Every little helps. So whoever you're listening, give us a star rating and a like, or hit subscribe to get news on when the next shiny brand new episode of the Fantasy Animation Podcast lands. But for now, please do enjoy the show. Hello listeners and welcome to this brand new episode of the fantasy and I should say the topical episode of the Fantasy Animation Podcast with me Chris Holiday and me Alex Sargent. So the reason this is topical and timely is that we are doing uh, a television programme or a Netflix special I should say whether or not those things are slightly different a web television programme uh, Bojack Horseman which finished a few weeks ago two weeks ago two and a half weeks ago. Yeah at the time of recording it's about six days um Morning, right? So, just as a as a disclaimer from the ups- offset, because we don't normally do this. Normally, this is a pretty spoilerific podcast um, because we feel like most of the things we talk about have been out there for a while. And to be honest, why would you listen to us to talk about a film you've never seen? However, uh, we are going to talk about everything that happens in the first five seasons of BoJack. Um, well, we don't know. We'll if try we know, to. We'll but try we're to. certainly not. Gonna, that's not going to be out of bounds. But we are going to try. We will not spoil. Season six. So yeah. if you are out there, a big BoJack fan, um, enjoying listening to us and want to hear what we've got to say about it, don't worry. We're not going to spoil the ending. It's only been out for a few weeks at this point, but we're going to talk about everything else. So we are. Let, that, let that be your guide as to how you proceed um, further forward. The other thing we should say is that this episode is our first sort of fan-generated um, episode in that we put a, uh, a poll out on Twitter I'd say about a long time ago. six to eight months ago about what um, Netflix show we should be doing next. We felt like we should do another Netflix show after our episode on Disenchantment, which um, you can listen back and actually is, done, is one of our more popular episodes. So we thought we would um, uh, get in on that and try and do another one. Um, and BoJack Horseman came out pretty strongly as everyone's um, choice for what we should be doing. Um, so uh, you asked for it and eight months later we responded. It's like academic publishing. Well, it's like a six season ep- uh, uh, cartoon show with about, what, 12, 13 episodes each season. So that's a lot of stuff to be watching in between all the other stuff we've got to be doing. It but is. we made our way through it. We did. And we are here to ready and actually, I think, quite excited to talk yes, about. Yes, very, um, very excited. Uh, I think the show uh, was, I don't want to say a surprise... Because everyone told us it was great, and all the reviews say it's great, and you know everyone out there seems to really love this thing. But you have got that sort of slightly, you know, um, impish resistance when you sit down to watch something that everyone tells you is amazing that you want to find not find it amazing. And I think it, I think we managed for a while to not find it amazing, yes. but it wore us down um, eventually. I think both of us think, um, you know, if it's not uh, the masterpiece, it's certainly an extremely interesting show with lots to talk about. It's Yeah, I suppose the surprise for me was not that it was good, because I knew that it was great. I'd heard people talk about it, uh, both, I think, um, you know, day to day, but also I'd been to academic conferences and people had given papers and keynotes um, about this thing that was Bojack Horseman. I didn't really know too much about it. For me, what was surprising was at what point it got good, or I felt that it got good, and also what elements of it were good. So I have lots of things to say. I was saying to Alex just before we went we went on air, as it were, that I tried to keep a note of every episode in terms of little notes, but in the end, I've, I sort of clumped a lot of ideas together. So 
hopefully we'll be able to touch on a few of the, the sort of key areas um, that when I was watching it and thinking about what we might say about it or certainly what I might say about it from an animation perspective. Um, things about adult animation more broadly, adult animation is this quite vague and nebulous concept. We often mean it just means things that aren't Disney, but then also Disney are adult in different kinds of ways. So things about adult animation. Um, Netflix, I guess more broadly, I know you have things to say about the way that the, the program itself is sort of platformed and Netflix as a platform and how the program makes use of Netflix more broadly and perhaps the obvious one that every time me and Alex met up between when we started or said we were going to do Bojack Horseman and today as we sit here recording it is he's had some further thoughts about animals and anthropomorphism and human cross-species interaction with animals so um, yeah I think there are things to say about it um, uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not 100% persuaded on it, but I think there are bits that are genuinely funny, but there are bits that are incredibly tragic and it is very bittersweet mm -hmm. and very... Um, I've read a lot of stuff about how it rips the heart out from you. It's gut-wrenching, and I, w I would definitely uh, agree with that. Yeah, absolutely, and I think um, one of the things I find perhaps most interesting is the, uh, the way it, as a series, uh, structurally um, gives Bojack... The, the um, eponymous protagonist less and less um, uh, forgiveness and less and less room for us to um, look past his more negative traits and actually kind of uses the character of Bojack to interrogate some hot button topics but some important topics regardless as to whether they're hot button or not um, and and slowly kind of rather than let the character off the hook it kind of slowly ties the noose on the character of Bojack, which um, means by the end of it, you're left in this interesting space where, particularly, uh, you know, without giving away anything that happens, um, you are left sort of recognizing the real dark truth of all this, which is that uh, Bojack is not a pleasant, nice, um, positive character, um, but yet still contains pleasant, nice, and positive characteristics. So that complexity um, is uh, quite well handled, I think. I mean, this is, uh, I suppose, if we're thinking about how the program, um, one of the one of its big markers is, is that this is a, a form of adult animation. This yeah, is so can I just, just on... What yes. The, what, so what people use this... So yeah. we don't say adult live action. No, we don't. Like we just we say adult movies, but we well, don't say adult live. We well, don't so say there's, there's adult yeah, and yeah. adult. So yeah. we're not talking, you know, pornographic, all that kind of stuff. There's there's that. We might talk about an adult movie, mm -hmm. but we wouldn't talk about um, an adult media, like adult live, as you say, we, live action. We, versus we don't talk about 1917 as being an adult live action movie. No, um, but we might use that term for animation, and we might use that term to describe Bojack Horseman. Yes. So, so what, 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 what's all that about then? So adult, obviously animation, and again we've talked previously in episodes about animation's relationship to children, of course, this sort of um, the, it, very early, early on in its uh, career, <laughs> animation, animation's, animation's career, career. Yeah. Uh, this is your life, uh, it, it sort of was, uh, even though some of the earliest animations were animated documentaries and so forth, it very quickly got sort of um, attached to, to children. But actually, the term adult animation is one of those terms, or certainly the adult of adult animation is one of those terms that is increasingly kind of fuzzy and, and strange to define because it could mean lots and lots of different things. Um, I think on the one hand, it could mean... Um, tone and content and subject matter. It could mean genre. 
that certain adult animations are more towards, um, I don't know, science fiction or um, post-apocalyptic than they are romantic comedy or mm-hmm. something like this. So it could be it could be content, it could be uh, particular sort of subversive content, it could be um, relation, uh, it could be kind of focusing on relationships, on on sex, on love, on er- uh, erotic content. Uh, it could mean erotic content. It could mean you know there are strands of animation that are. Um, uh, connected to pornography, j- uh, Japanese hentai pornography, sure, sure, sure. Um, the use of existing cartoon characters within cartoon pornography, if yeah. you like. Um, so it could mean content, it could mean generic um, concerns, what genre adult animation is in. But it's the only reason we feel the need to sort of caveat animation with this term, or it's not, you know, it's not even like it's a unified term, but the only reason we need to point out that it's an adult animation, is it because of this cultural embedded association with animation and childhood? Perhaps, um, perhaps. In a way that's not true of live action. In fact, if, if anything, live action does the opposite, right? Occasionally we'll talk about children's cinema mm. um, as a separate category, but we won't talk about, um, you know, as I say, adult live action movies that are just serious dramas. I mean, I suppose we could think it, Yeah, we can link it to literature, you know, young adult fiction, that kind of stuff. I suppose what I would say is that if we're thinking about animation's uh, status as a media medium or genre mm-hmm. as it were and we often do we often do and have done and yeah. will continue to do so then um it obviously or it seems to follow some of the writing on comedy if you think about comedy as not a genre but a mode it's same as an you know, animation not a genre but a mode or a style and the way in which comedy is qualified black comedy dark comedy screwball comedy mm-hmm. gross out comedy etc um i just wonder whether it's just a similar qualifier that yeah. perhaps doesn't have you know, adult animation, um, Japanese animation, it's the, it's the thing that qualifies. It's kind of a semantic issue. Um, but potentially, you know, adult animation is is the other, and, and often that's how it's been perceived, and you get this sort of kind of core periphery model of something being the default and then everything else is being exp- uh, expelled because it doesn't fit into that category. So adult animation has often been considered the other to other forms of, um, I guess, kind of commercial animation. So this, in many ways, perhaps part of the pleasure of BoJack is that it recenters adult animation as, look, this is adult animation, commercial animation that people love, and it's sort of re- it's it's now not something that we... Um, associate with the far reaches of well, yeah, but have we have, have we since The Simpsons? No, I don't think so. I mean, um, even The Flintstones was sort of on prime time television. I'm not sure The Flintstones was aimed at children; it was aimed at a family audience. Simpsons mm. is aimed at teenagers, I guess, but not really. But that tends to be its target audience. Family Guy is is definitely um, you know South Park. Um, I feel like we've gotten over that. Certainly on television. No, I agree. Yeah, I, would, I, I, I reckon film, that might still be a, a caveat that distributors, yeah. producers would need to emphasise. If they were selling... You know, when Sausage Party came out, the, the whole emphasis was that this is not a normal animation, mm-hmm. quote-unquote. But BoJack is quite a normal... <laughs> it's not normal in many ways, but in terms of the fact that it has adult themes, that's quite normal for animation on television. No, I agree. Days. And I think the, the connection between animation and children is something that can be overstated. Animation's yes. ability to have a dual register. Yes, it can. It, it can be overstated, and it's not for this podcast to say the other thing, because we're here to talk about a film that isn't an, a children's animation. But it can also be said, but it also can be understated that it's, it still exists. It's still mm. a thing. It's a, a completely knotted cultural phenomenon that has associated a particular way of making cinema 
with a particular audience and a particular style. And it's been like that for, what, nearly a century now. So it, it, I take your point that it, is, it can be over-egged, but it can also be sort of, you know, some obvious truths can be ignored here, which is that for whatever reason, animation performs a cultural role that seems askew towards a vision of childhood. Mm. Um, and it's worthwhile thinking through those things, but perhaps not. Right, uh, but uh, that childhood in, in and of itself is an aesthetic, given that that, the, that lends itself to drawing and animation yeah. as opposed to photography and live action. Whatever, I remember once getting asked means. a question about about that, but yeah, but it's adults that produce the thing. Yes, and so it is. It is. It is stuff produced by adults for children, and and what what does the for children element look like in here in Bojack Horseman? Perhaps you have a split between um, the way that the characters look, which in a picture book might might suffice as children's um, entertainment, whatever children means and whatever entertainment means in that sense. Um, but then it's the grafting together, perhaps, of that kind of aesthetic with um, a sort of very tragic, tragic comedy, um, surreal, um, strange subject matter. I yeah, know. sure. No, I, um, um, and maybe it's time to talk about the visual style a little bit because... Um it is quite distinctive, right? And I'm, and I'm trying to work out what is distinctive by design. But the show's designed by, oh, God, here we go. Lisa Hannawalt. Yeah, well, thank you for taking that because I was okay. about to butcher her last name. Lisa Hannawalt, who um, is a is a cartoonist yep. by trade. Illustrator. Um, and and um, can we say anything about the style of, um, of BoJack that's worth sort of talking about in the abstract before we get into the detail? Well, I suppose we'll talk a little bit about the style of animation to its... its animals or its anthropomorphic agenda mm-hmm. um, it doesn't it has a relatively uniform style but in a different way to something like Family Guy or The Simpsons or other long form American television in that the characters are often animals or anthropomorphic animals and they coexist with human characters um, but there isn't I could never predict what the next character would look like, I don't think. Mm. Um, in terms of the world, I think it's very inventive. Um, I like What I like about the design of the program is the way it uses backgrounds, so the way a lot of the humour is embedded into kind of printed material, posters, signage, that kind of stuff. I think that's really good. It sets up some... Ra- and it has, I suppose it has to because it's serial television, but it sets up a series of uh, s- locations and that become familiar. Um, but I think that the... the opening sequence to the program sets in motion this sort of quite surreal um, style this this sort of I mean it is surreal you see these animals wearing clothes and things like this but um, the way that each episode seems to have a different title sequence removes characters adds characters and based on the narrative events of the previous episode um, you know it's it's very colorful I think the style is very colorful um, it makes use of dark outlines I think quite well um, but it is also quite kind of flat at the same time it has moments moments of depth and moments of kind of subjectivity and point of view and blurred perspectives and things like this. But um, I think it's relatively... I'd, I think I'd recognise the BoJack Horseman style. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Cart- ca- uh, the, cartoonal. The, the, the cartoonal, I think the, the lines... I hadn't thought about that, but yes, it has a certain um, drawn quality to it that... Um, that actually is quite a sort of symptom of, of television animation. Yeah, the black yeah. line... The thick black line is a thing about it, but there is something... Um, about about this style that, that 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 feels like a pastel drawing. The colours you've mm. done well there, Chris. I'm, everything you just said, I agree with. <laughs> so far, you're doing okay. Well, that, yeah. should we do a quick plot synopsis? Oh, I goodness. guess. Well, so so the basic setup. If people haven't seen it, and again, if you haven't seen it, um, this might not be as penetrable. Or as it it'll be prompting people to go and see Absolutely. it and so binge watch. It's about a a 
a horseman. Yes, a horseman named Bojack, um, who is a sort of um, I want to say washed up nineties um, TV star, but he's not. He's not like he's, he's not. But has moments of success. He ha- he does have moments of success, but then throws it all away or yeah. loses it. Or so he's he's a sort of a celeb a, a celebrity whose star has faded, or at least is fading at the beginning of the show. Um, he is known for starring in a very successful sitcom called Horsing Around. Uh, where he is, like, it's a very much a parody of sort of late eighties, early nineties family sitcom. Yeah. Um, what's the the premise of Horsing Around? It's something like it's a couple of orphans have to be raised by Bojack, basically. Yeah, and he um, becomes their ironically, he beca- yeah, he becomes a kind of surrogate father figure in a way that doesn't quite translate to the real world. And actually, what's what happens that horsing around becomes this continually used and ironic counterpoint to the events that are happening yes. in the, in the real quote unquote world of the program. At times, at his most distressed, he comes back and starts rewatching yes. horsing around, doesn't he? And yeah. binge watches horsing around, and we can talk about binge watching and uh, <laughs> and, and sort of parallel of that later. Um, so he's he's a sort of faded star. He's unsatisfied with how his career's gone, but financially very well off. Lives in a nice Hollywood sort of mansion. Um, and he is surrounded by a collection of characters um, who whose stories sort of intertwine and, and, and play out. There's his agent and, um, at the beginning of the show, uh, on and off girlfriend, yeah. uh, Princess Caroline, who is a cat. Obviously. Uh, obviously. Yeah, there's probably about half a dozen main characters. Bojack, uh, Princess Caroline, um, and then his... In the first season, his ghostwriter, maybe the first couple of seasons, season and a half, yeah. his ghostwriter, um, Diane, who is... Who, who's a Vietnamese-American woman. Yes. Um, there's another human character, Todd Chavez, who's um, uh, voiced by Aaron Paul, very well, who's sort of a sort of stoner, uh, slacker character that sleeps on Bojack's couch. But um, in many ways is the... He, so, but yeah. Mayo is the moral compass of the story. Yeah, exactly. I was yeah, going to say, yeah, in many yeah. ways he is the emotional centre because, and there's a couple of episodes throughout um, I think it's three and four that shine the light on how he is he's a good character that goes out of his way to help other people yeah. and brings it and th- kind of throws into relief or brings into relief their selfishness and narcissism through his selflessness. Yes, so he's, he's, a, he's, he's, on, yes he's, a, he's a naive character, isn't he? He's yeah. almost like a holy fool kind of character. Um, and then there's my favourite character, Mr. Peanut Butter, right. who, um, who is a yellow uh, Labrador retriever who um, who's basically Bojack's rival um, and the antithesis of Bojack Horseman in that he plays another kind of slightly washed up sitcom star. I forget his show. Um, Mr. Peanut Butter's House. Right, which is basically the same the show. Yeah. It's the rip-off show of Horsing Around. And Mr. Peanut Butter um, is optimistic, enthusiastic, completely satisfied with his life. Um, doesn't seem to have a cynical bone in his body, perhaps to his detriment because there are moments where it explores, explores that um, and sort of reveals the dark side of this kind of um, um, way of behaving and way of approaching the world. Um, and he um, is completely content and happy with his life um, and uh, is, is, yes, my favourite character, voiced by um, Paul F. Tompkins. And he's in, so he's in a relationship with Diane, or certainly for the first few seasons he's yes. in a relationship with Diane, uh, though he has been married previously. And actually one of the things that I think is interesting about Bojack Horseman's status as adult animation is actually, yes, it deals with serious subject matter, but structurally it's obviously very sophisticated um, uh, and 
makes full use of the idea of serial narratives in mm -hmm. terms of the way that it sets up characters uh, or sets up scenarios and then truncates them and then fast forwards and moves back. That's not even doing it, a, uh, that's doing it a disservice because it is very sophisticated in the way that it organizes time, more so than just flashback, flash forwards. Certainly past and present coexist in, in uh, moments, um, but certain episodes, yeah, just end and then three episodes later, we go back and find out how that scene, so I think it's very kind of, co it's, it's a good example of sort of complex storytelling. I well, it, it, it's complex storytelling, but it also, you said it's serial, it's sort of serial, yes. but it isn't, um, it isn't chronological. No. Um, not that serial has to be chronological, but it isn't, um, it isn't a train going down the track. It is, um, it is garbled and it is um, uh, confusing and it rotates around itself quite a lot. So, um, the perceived wisdom out there seems to be that the show sort of kicks into gear about the first way through the first season. I think that's a little bit of a simplistic narrative. I think it slowly shifts into something far different from what it starts as. But it starts as a relatively episodic, um, quite dark, yeah. but kind of Family Guy-esque sitcom where he gets into an exploit each week. He offends someone. He has to fix something. Uh, he's got a press nightmare, something like that. And each episode is sort of in and of itself. And then slowly what happens are that there are these sort of moments... Um, in Bojack's life and in Bojack's past become really sort of important anchoring points to the rest of the story. So you, what you get throughout the rest of the seasons are like, I don't know, two or three instances of, of an event affecting all the characters around them in different ways. And the event will be played out from different angles or will be presented in one episode in isolation of all the other storylines. And only later do we find the significance of why that was happening. Characters disappear for one episode and then two episodes later you find out you have an episode about what they've been doing during all this time. Yeah. So it's almost a sort of pulp fiction, which is a very lazy kind of way of explaining it, but a kind of pulp fiction shuffled around narrative that means that it the TV show rewards mm. the kind of viewing that Netflix rewards in that the more you bunch them together, the easier it is to slot all these things um, into place in your own yeah. head. The cognitive ability to sort of sort the narrative into sequential chronological order is, is helped if you binge watch this thing. Yeah. I mean, it seems like part of, part of its context might be that sort of post-2000 shift towards more complex narration. So puzzle films, mind game films, they've sort of been described in many different ways, but um, scholars uh, like David Bordwell have defined it as a forking path film. Uh, Thomas Alsasa has talked about the mind game film, films that play with narrative chronology but also offer up alternative um, worlds of the conditional tense. What would happen if this would happen? or what would? So narratives splinter off into, into different directions. And, uh, and lots of people have written books on this This. Uh, Phenomenon under the under the guise of the puzzle film. Um, this is a very connected and interlocking narrative world, or it's certainly a world that's organised itself into a into a series of stories. The stories that you you get half of, and then you won't get the rest of. You get half of, and then get the rest of later on. Um, and so it is very. I agree that it 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 lends itself well to the binge watching nature of, of Netflix that allows you to effortlessly move quite, and quite quickly from one episode to the next because it is, you know, the world is very complex there are lots of characters, um, lots of supporting characters that, that surround the main six so um, in, in the in the programme's takedown of certain kinds of industries uh, the film industry being the biggest one, film and television industry perhaps being the, the biggest ones, um, there are a lot of supporting characters uh, PAs, um, 
marketing assistants, managers, um, studio heads, actors, performers, audience members. Uh, there's lots and lots of different characters that kind of come and go uh, both in and out of the program and then in and out of the title sequence that make the world very complex and so it is quite uh, a challenge to figure out how the component parts and the component characters Okay, so this is one of those moments where we pause the podcast um, and stop talking as we were then yes. and start talking live, well, not live, but we're always, we're always live and yeah. not live. This is it's hard uh, to record in advance of yeah. the moment that you're recording. Sure, this isn't a live stream. No, so, that's um, not what we've paused the podcast to talk to you about. No, though. we have paused the podcast to talk to you um, listeners uh, and potential contributors, actually, um, about the blog element of the website. So if you visit uh, fantasy-animation.org, you'll see that we run a, a weekly blog. So the blog itself uh, pulls in different voices from lots of, of different places, whether you're an animator, creative practitioner, academic, uh, whether you've been to a film festival, an academic conference, uh, whether you are, uh, you know, been to the cinema, seen an animated fancy television program. Uh, we'd uh, love could to be an animator who's just produced a new work yes. and wants to talk about it, reflect on it um, creatively. It could, it could be, be um, someone who's trying to get into film journalism who wants to have a go at writing a review. Um, you could just be a fan and love a particular uh, uh, subject matter and you'd always want to talk about it yeah we've had a lot of people kind of get in contact via the website um, we have a little comments function so if you send a little message to us um, with your potential idea then we'll have a yeah. conversation about commissioning in it there's a tab isn't there at the top that says something like contact us yes. and, and submit form so you that. can contact us uh, and also you can follow us on social media so give us an at on Facebook send us a message um so give us an at on Twitter or send us a message on Facebook uh, and we'll get in touch yeah. Uh, and yeah it would be great to, to kind of publish some of the new work that's being done or, or um, hear from people that perhaps wouldn't have the opportunity to publish elsewhere, um, get in touch. Please do. Otherwise, we'll just get back to the show. Let's. And the complexity, I, the way I read it at least, is not necessarily a, a narrative complexity. It is a sort of emotional, character-driven complexity, which isn't to you know, rank either as better or worse, but I'm just trying to highlight a difference, I think. This isn't lost. Yeah, we don't have mysteries that the plot needs resolving and we and, we, and the significance of this thing happening in the corner here. What happens is we get events that sort of play out in one way um, and then as other events are contextualised in relation to them, um, our approach to that event changes and shifts as a viewer. So to give a couple of examples, and this is where we're getting into, into, you know, into spoiler territory, I think there are two key events throughout the whole series, that, the whole six series now, that structure the character of Bojack and sort of um, lead towards the bittersweetness of the show. And that, to me, is the death of Sarah Lynn, Yes, um, and um, heartbreak, and, and Bojack's. Um, I'm trying to think of the way to phrase this. Um, Bojack's extremely problematic relationship with um, a friend's daughter, whose uh, name escapes me. Actually, um, so is this when he, he, one of his old, his childhood sweetheart? Is that yeah, his childhood sweetheart, yeah. who's a deer. Um, and um, I forget the name of, of this character. I'm not. Um, I'm on it. Keep talking. Um, but um, there is there is a moment in one of the series where Bojack is is experiencing a career lull. He's experiencing an emotional lull. Um, he suffers from um, anxiety, depression, uh, narcissistic behavioural traits. He's an addict, and there are moments throughout the whole series where he sort of spirals. And during one of these spirals, he goes and stays with his former childhood sweetheart and the implication being that one it's a sort of respite from the from the world of Hollywood rather than Hollywood um, more on that later I think mm. um, uh, 
but and but but perhaps he has designs of sort of winning her back or or whatever. He's she's now married with children. Um, and during the episode, the whole episode, it's, it's a single episode. You don't quite know these characters. You haven't really been introduced to them before. Um, you've seen seen her character before in a couple of episodes mentioned briefly and, and referred to briefly on screen. But largely, the, the significance of what is about to happen is, lo- is, not, is not apparent upon you. Um, and, and during the episode, towards the end, um, the... Well... I, it's been a while since I've watched it. I'm now doubting my own memory of the thing, and this is sort of the point I'm trying to make here. Um, in my memory of it, watching it the first time, the way I read it um, was um, Bojack finds himself in an extremely compromising situation based partially on his own sort of naivety and idiocy and self-absorption, but also on 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 this sort of 17-year-old's, 16, 17-year-old's, she might even be eighteen. I can't remember. Yeah, um, I, yes, I think I think uh, the issue is not her age, but her connection to her. Well, it is her age. Yeah. It is her age. She's on the cusp of maturity, but she's not mature. Um, and he's got this very yes, sort of, true, and he's yes, got a true. power relationship with her. Um, a, you know, he is the powerful in the relationship, and she and she kind of. Um, she begins a, a sort of a very extremely advised flirtation with him, and the two end up um, kissing um, briefly, and then he um, pulls. Well, they both pull away. Um, so no, I'm, I'm I'm stumbling over my words here because I think the whole point, or at least the way it affected me, perhaps as a, my, a white male viewer, um, you know, a white male cisgendered heterosexual viewer. Um, I, I read it initially as rather sort of sympathetically towards the Bojack character. Um, I would have to rewatch it again. Um, I, you know, I, I read it the way I've just described it. Others might have read it differently. But as the show continues and this event is sort of returned to, and the events uh, um, leading up to it are returned to, and and the consequences of the event are returned to, the show slowly interrogates what Bojack has done in this moment and the, and the sort of pernicious awfulness of what he has done in this moment and by the end of it I had a very different interpretation on that essentially it's what I do now and now I think it's a much more predatory moment than perhaps the first time round I viewed it Uh, but that's because the programme as well and I do think the show is inviting that interrogation but that's how it does it in its structure so um, obviously as you say the relationship between the serial narrative and the shifts in chronology there are okay there are individual episodes that go back in time uh, and and comically set out the fact that this is 1977 1999 yeah there are flashbacks to his time on horsing around generic 80s song etc he was a stand up before that you get stories about that and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the way that this works is that you have individual episodes that go back in time or you will have the beginning of episodes that are sort of like a false opening. So you have a false opening frame or a false opening scene and then you realise that you were in a programme and then you step back out into the real world or it fast forwards to the present day or whatever it is. Um, then you have episodes, one of my favourite episodes, um, which I'll get onto, but the, the, the past and the present coexist through sp- not necessarily split screen but just the merging and the superimposition of past on to present uh, and then they play out um, in one scene and you have things and suddenly one of the one of the characters fades away and you realize that they were set in the past and they've now um, but then you have this and this is what I think what I think we're talking about is the pleasure that the program take, takes in kind of truncation or occlusion or not allowing you access to certain kinds of scenes so that you can't make up your mind as to what happened on the boat. So this is, this is um, the bit that you're talking about mm. is from an episode um, from season two, yeah. which is uh, called Escape from L.A. 
the name of this the boat is called Escape from LA, and it's something that he bought, and it's sitting on the tarmac of his love interest, Charlotte. Uh, and the daughter is called Penny. Yes, that's right. Um, and this is the he he uh, one of his lowest moments. And I think this is maybe where the series starts to shift ever so slightly because the first series or is ties the noose a little bit around yeah, the protagonist. The f- because the first series is really structured around a series of escapades that are brought together or connected together by Diane's uh, writing of a story or the biography of Bojack Horseman. She is his ghostwriter and just follows him around and, and gets to learn a bit more about him. In the second um, series, you get a lot more plays with um, narrative and a bit more, um, I suppose, and, it, and it also into series three, a bit more plays with form. So you get episodes that start to merge merge kind of past and present, but also that he un- Bojack starts to undertake things without Diane. And then this is a moment where he's at one of his lowest ebbs and he goes back to, a, to sort of his, sa- his safe space. He buys this boat um, and then goes and parks it on the, on the driveway of his, his um, previous love interest um, and then lives with them for a few months, actually. Weeks, and the whole episode is this sort of isolated yep. moment in his life. So the other characters aren't in it. No. Um, their storylines don't continue in the background. It's all him with living with his family. Um, and ultimately, he I think he, at one point he takes the daughter to prom. Yes. Because he thinks that's a good idea, or that's suggested that it's a good idea. Yeah. He takes it. It's very similar to an episode of Family Guy, actually, where Brian takes... Um, uh, Meg to the prom. Well, there's have... an episode of Friends as well, isn't it, where Ross takes Rachel Yes, to the prom, that is also he... very similar so I think, to that. I think it's riffing on all these old yeah. episodes where that happens, yes. And then, um, so initially, I think Bojack is... Um, reticent to pursue a relationship with Penny and Penny kind of comes Well, I don't think I don't think there's a pursuit of a relationship. They're friends. Yes. But then but then then there starts to be complications. But he but he and I was expecting the episode to he was going to he was going to do something and then never did. Yes. And then actually at the very very end he does do something and you really start to judge him as a character. But actually you well, can't that much because you don't see really what happens. Well, well to not let myself off the hook, I don't think I did judge him. I think when I first saw that episode I thought what you thought. He is going to do something awful here. Yeah, yeah. He is going to make a pass. Yes, it's set up like that. Yes. Uh, And actually, again, from my memory of this episode, season two, season six, the way I first read it was actually largely she's making a pass at him. He does not act appropriately, but he. He 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 he, you know he doesn't he doesn't pursue the relationship or anything like that. Um, But. But what the show very cleverly makes even someone who reads it the way I did, which I think is perhaps not even it was its intentions in the first place, it slowly interrogates that moment more and more and it twists the knife on the audience and it sort of forces you, um, in my case, forces me to realise that actually this is an extremely, you know, what, what I thought was going to happen did happen. Yes. Just framed in a way that let me off the hook as an yeah. audience and let Boj off, off the hook because Bojack's, Excuses as to why that isn't a, wasn't problematic become more and more hollow. So the way I read it becomes more and more um, ill-advised. I'm tripping over my words here because I'm just I'm conscious that if I rewatch this episode now, I think I wouldn't feel the same way. But I can't deny that when I first watched it, that isn't the impression I got, and I can't help feel the show is is keen to alert that kind of reception. 
um, and deal with that as it goes on. Because this moment becomes increasingly significant. It's 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 the um, it's the moment that defines Bojack's one of the moments that define Bojack's later years in the in the show. Mm. I mean, it's and you mentioned earlier that the the other instance is the is the death of Sarah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, Sarah yeah, yeah. is a really kind of important character because she is she is of the past and and of the present. She is one of the one of the few. Act- and actresses in the original cast from the original cast of Horsing Around that he kind of still keeps in contact with, but is very much a, a comment on um, the, I guess, the train wreck culture of child celebrity. Yeah, so once again, she's the child actress. So she's, she plays the youngest of the orphans that he raises on Horsing Around, um, and she grows up um, to, you know, I think, I think they're probably riffing on quite a few actual child actress careers here, yeah. but she grows up to be sort of drug addled by the time she's 12 or whatever it is, um, alcoholic. Um, launches a kind of vaguely successful pop career for yeah. a, a while, and is and is still a, an addict when the show um, begins. Yes, well, um, I was going to say if the program itself plays structurally with the collision of past and present, but also the collision between a particular image of domesticity as represented in Horse and Around mm-hmm. versus what BoJack Horseman's real world of Hollywood is like, um, Sarah Lynn is a character that that also marks out those different territories. Her particular angelic performance in the programme Horsing Around and her gradual um, uh, evolution into a sort of, uh, yeah, essentially a drug addict who at times... But again, he's also very sympathetic. Like she's a very sympathetic character. Or like like Bojack, it's not that characters are, you know, that on the spectrum of light and dark, that everybody's a bit grey. It's sort of again. No, no there are they are on that. the spectrum. There are some characters I like more than others, but all of them have, all of them have dark bits and all of them have light bits. It's you know which which. But some have more, some have more light bits and dark mm. bits, and some the other way around, which I think is a nice way of sort of phrasing humanity. I guess. Yeah, but it, 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 but it's, it's interesting because it's it's also more than that because it's not just that the characters have a bit of good and a bit of bad in them. It's it, the program seems to be also be about how how they then apply those different elements of their fractured personality. So what the television program does in terms of its uh, anthropomorphic agenda, humans, animals, that fractured schizophrenic state, it also plays out through personality. So sometimes they're this and sometimes they're that. And they are really, I find a lot of the characters very unstable and and, um, uh, I guess queer in that sense. They're very difficult to define because they slip between different different kinds of, of categories. And maybe that also lends itself to the nature of performance, that the fact that the television program is about an industry where you perform uh, in the boardroom, on a stage, as, as a television uh, presenter, as a governor, um, yeah. a lot of the characters find themselves in situations where they have a, a kind of public and private face, and so that duality or that binary, that schizophrenia, yeah. plays out in lots of different elements of the show. They're also inconsistent, aren't they? Yeah. And hypocritical quite often. Um, so you know, Bojack can be at times an extremely remorseful character yeah. and you sense an authenticity Especially with to his Todd. remorse. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he goes to rehab at one point, he, um, you know, he, he commits acts that suggest that he is, he is keen to improve himself um, and then he'll do something else that suggests that that's a superficial way of reading it. He'll, 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 he'll show little remorse um, 
both privately and publicly. So is that realistic? Like that superficiality of emo- that we, it's not it's not sentimental. It's that it plays with the surface nature of emotion sometimes, or mm. the surface nature of behaviour. Yeah, the, or, and, the, and the ephemeral nature of emotions. Yeah. Right, you can be remorseful in a moment, but that doesn't mean you're remorseful yeah. the next day. And so, it's, so again, it, it's again, it's not just that it's the light and dark of characters. It's the it's the fluctuating, unstable nature and the ease with which people move between those two states, yeah. um, and that people are, you know, there are they are kind of. I don't want to. Say, I'm not equating instability and queerness, not at all. But um, that they are very difficult to kind of pin down, and I quite, I quite like that. That you have a consistency through seriality in narrative and of characters in one sense, but also that their emotions and their personalities are very, very fluctuating between scenarios and, and they act realistically because they act differently in different circumstances. Yeah, and so like, you know, a glib question, do you like Bojack Horseman as a character? Yeah, doesn't have an easy answer. Doesn't have an easy answer because I think to say no for these reasons and to say yes for these reasons would be to simplify what he does and is in the show. And to ignore, in some way, you know, to, in, what, either yeah. answer requires you to to truncate or, or to, ignore, to remove elements of his to personality. To his personality, and 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 the real answer is that you probably shouldn't like him, and you probably shouldn't hate him, yeah, um, because of exactly the same reasons, yeah, um, or yeah, or, no, I, I, or, or, or a bunch of oppositional reasons. It's, yeah, exactly right. Yes, yeah. Yeah. it's one of the many ways that the show is innovative and playful and pleasurable and and gut-wrenching and you know it, it does some really bold things we've talked about narrative there's one episode um uh, in season three fish out of water which is very you know one of the the uh i guess famous episodes yeah. where a lot of one it, of my favorites actually, yeah, yeah maybe i know you you were, you were more mixed on it but i, I really was more it. yeah but there's it's an episode where he's off to a film festival that goes to a film festival and it takes place underwater and so it's it's kind of pretty much done throughout dialogue so mm-hmm. taking Taking animation, you know, animation is a silent medium, yeah. and so it, it goes right back to just the power of the drawings. Yeah, he goes to a, like a, an underwater film festival, you know, populated by fish, and has to wear sort of um, like a, a, like an astronaut, yeah. but not a deep sea diver. And, and so a lot of it takes place without him being able to speak, and anyone else being able to speak, you just hear bubbles and things like and that. And then he realizes at the end of the episode that he needs to just press a button and he could speak. Yeah, bummer. <laughs> So I, yeah, I think that's that's a, that's a good example. Uh, my favourite episode um, occurs early on, I think, in in season four. And I think so. Three and four, if one and two are relatively conventional, and I even use that word quite quite loosely, um, I think seasons three and four start to push the envelope a little bit. Um, and so there's an episode called it's the second episode of season two, the old Sugarman place, which is a terrific episode. Yeah, it's your um, favourite, right? It is my favourite and it's and it's where again it's it's season three ends quite devastatingly, um, with uh Bojack, following the death of, of Sarah Lynn right right at the end of the season, he, in a in a planetarium, which is yeah. you know, and, and just a, just a, a footnote on that one, just because we set that up in the comparison with the Penny episode. That one I did read from the start as much more you know, Bojack has, you know, this is a moment which... which he's takes, warped their relationship. Yeah, he's done something um, unforgivable in this yeah. moment, um, which I now apply back to the Series 2 moment, but I didn't at the time. Yeah. And um, whilst this one is like, okay, we've cr- we've crossed... A, this is, we've gone, you know, we've crossed the Rubicon here. Now 
now we're going to have to, I'm going to have to fundamentally alter my relationship with this character because of what he has done yeah. here. This isn't something you can say sorry about and it's fine. Yeah. Um, he goes on a you know four-day bender. After she's sober, he supplies her with the drugs and the alcohol. They and, celebrate uh, her sobriety yeah, by kind yeah, of going and, off and, on one. And she ends up... And, um, then, don't, and then don't you find out later on, in the, is it later or before, I can't remember, that, that her, her drinking started because Bojack left a bottle yeah. of... yeah. I think it's later, actually, but um, that could be my memory. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so it gets even worse. It's like yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. So the the film at uh, the film. So yeah, so the television program is sort of unforgiving in in that sense. But season three ends with her death mm-hmm. um, and a very somber moment. It's, and it's sort of treated and it's it's one of those rare instances where a character death in a television program has a funeral that yeah. often doesn't happen. So we have a funeral and they talk about they talk about Sarah Lynn and then um, that sort of becomes the catalyst for his. Uh, I suppose he's re- he removes himself. He removes himself from the world. Um, and season four, I think the first episode of season four, uh, see Mr. Peanut Butter Run, is when he begins to run or wants to run for um, uh, governor. Yes. And Bojack's not. I don't think he's in the episode, or you only hear his voice. Um, and so he is physically removed from the from the episode. Uh, you find out that he's gone to his old childhood holiday home. I think by a lake, uh, the old Sugarman place. So this is this this second episode of season four, uh, and it's the one that moves between time periods so effortlessly. You have scenes that play out in parallel. So there's a bit where characters are in a car on a road, and it looks like they're chasing each other, but it's just two time periods put together. Um, it's very. Uh, I don't know, kind of emotional. I, I, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was great. It's, it's, it's one of those ones where it becomes very smart. It matches smartness with sincerity, which is very difficult to do because often one trumps the other. But I felt like it balanced both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I also there's a lots of the formerly experimental episodes. So there's one where he gives a eulogy for his mother, um, and the whole episode is his eulogy, and it ends uh, with, a, with a very good gag. But the whole thing is very sort of seriously played, and he sort of um, mediates on their relationship, and and very much sort of she is initially at first structured as the result of all his pain in the sort of Blofeld sense of the world. She is this extremely domineering, abusive, um, physically yeah. and 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 emotionally, but mainly emotionally actually is that seems to be the main felt um, during his childhood um and that seems to be the sort of result of his his later sort of self-obsession and self-loathing um, and self-loving at the same time in that sort of flip side of narcissism um but again that's another thing that the tv show deconstructs is that is that whilst for the first couple of seasons it lets you explain and justify bojack's behavior because of this sort of tortured mother um, this dragon of a, of a mother, both by humanising her and by sort of, you know, exploring Bojack's real, sort of the consequences of Bojack's actions. Again, it doesn't really let him off the hook. But this, this eulogy is a really interesting thing where he sort of numerates on his relationship with his mother and then the gag at the end after 22 minutes is that he's actually in the wrong uh, funeral home. So he's been giving it to someone who is not his mother. So that's quite good. I'm just thinking before, I guess, before we, we confront the, the big issue of, of animals. Yeah, we should uh, do that. It's things uh, that we need to line things up a bit. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's sort of... Uh, I, I, I'm going to... Yeah, I'm not going to line things oh, up. Gosh, but right. I'm just thinking about the the... The, the things that the program pulls in in terms of its targets. Okay. Um, and it's, you know, there are episodes that are dealing with things like abortion. Yep. There are, uh, and, and social media's relationship to, to abortion. There are, um, one, of my, one of my favorite episodes is um, 
uh, an episode from season three, Stop the Stop the Presses, where Bojack's on the telephone trying to um, cancel his subscription to a newspaper um, that he doesn't that he doesn't read, um, and the whole episode is him explaining his anxieties uh, to this unseen mm. newspaper executive who's trying to um, trying to, to not make him cancel his um, his newspaper membership, um, but that. The other side of the episode is Todd setting up a, a cab company for women because of safe spaces. So it's, yeah, it's forgotten about this. So there yeah. are these there are these schizophrenic moments. Like the series does move between these two light-hearted um, areas and serious. You know, it kind of fluidly moves between the two. I mean, there's also an episode in season four called Thoughts and Prayers, which is about um, mass shooting in America, mm. and the characters are just they're talking. And then they just say, "I've oh, thoughts and we need thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers." And it's about the sort of futility of, of political intervention, and, and so it's a really it, it confronts head on a lot of these sort of serious issues. It's bold in the way that it structures things. Mm-hmm. Um, it plays with personality. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's 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 ambitious in what it's trying to do. Yeah, absolutely, and the, you know the, the the you know the common recurrent in the in the two things we've talked about with with Penny and with Sarah Lynn is that these are two young vulnerable women mm. who are um, who are exploited, abused, um, and uh, what's the right word? Um, and ultimately, uh, Just, I suppose, influence? have their lives yeah. ruined by this predatory male in a position of power. But but uh, not a male because a horseman. Just so, to put one final thing before we come to the fact that he's a horse. Yes. Because um, I do think that's really important to talk about. Um, just on that, the um, the dating app thing. Yeah. Um, just because the thought occurs to me, now you've reminded me of that one. Todd. So we said Todd is this heart of gold character. And largely he is. But again, the same rule applies with him. In that his naivety in that storyline, although largely played for laughs... Um, is exactly the kind of thing that the thing like that the show likes to provoke because he has this idea which is to come up with a dating a, a, a taxi. He does come up with a dating app later on, or he play, he's on a. a he starts a, off with this taxi app, doesn't yes. he? Which is a, a female only taxi service. So it's yep. female drivers for for female for women, and the whole point is to confront sexual violence. Um, rape culture, all this kind of stuff to provide a safe space for women. Um, and then it's a massive success. And so he decides that he's only going half the market at the moment, so he should open it for men as well. Um, and and uh, what else? Then he then, like, uh, um, empower, they decide that he needs to empower the women by hiring, like, strippers or something yeah. like that, doesn't he? Yeah. So his, his naivety creates real suffering for other people. So mm. it, even, even that character, who largely is treated very well in the show. Even he has these moments of um, where, where his, the thing that we like about him is also the thing that causes the most harm to other people. Yeah, I mean, Todd's an interesting character. The dating app thing, um, he does, uh, so his, his one-time love interest, Emily, um, sets up or creates a dating app called All About That Ace in season five. Um, but Todd himself is an interesting character because he's kind of out, and the dating app is, mm-hmm. is an asexual um dating app and, yeah. and Todd, are, Todd is asexual but there's um, but so that kind of comes to the full end of season three beginning of season four and Bojack returns after having spent that that you know, amount of time at the the family uh, summer home the the by the lake mm-hmm. when he returns back there are a couple of scenes that are played the most serious I think I've seen without an undercut undercutting joke so Todd says something like, I'm not ready because um, Bojack has slept with Emily um, and Emily liked Bojack, uh, Emily liked um, 
Todd and mm-hmm. Todd really didn't really like her but didn't know that well, he well, didn't he, like he, her. He liked her romantically but didn't like her sexually yeah. is the problem. Um, and so he says, Todd says something like, oh, I, I, I'm not ready for us to be friends yet but I'm also not ready. I think we could be more than not friends. And Bojack's very, he's, I'm really, really sorry. I'm really, and so there are mo- little moments between those two characters because Todd is somebody who has um, kind of pitched up and sleeps on Bojack's mm-hmm. sofa um, and then at many points becomes like a millionaire and then loses it because he accidentally tips $8 million in a restaurant. He usually goes on schemes with Mr. Pe- uh, Mr. Peanut, butter. Mr. Peanut Butter because yep. Mr. Peanut Butter being so enthusiastic and optimistic basically greenlights any yeah. idea he ever comes up with. Because it's, uh, I'm, 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 it's tempted to see Todd as the moral centre, but actually there is no moral centre. I think, that's the, I think if that yeah. kind of simplicity would be, would be not what this show is going for. Yeah. Um, um, so we should talk about horses. Right. Or we should talk about animals. And identity, I guess, more broadly. Right, who, who, who wants to start this off? It's going to be, well, it's going to be a long one. We've talked previously on this podcast about anthropomorphism, yes. i.e. animals that are, or human-like creatures that are animals. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are many ways to kind of attack this, and Paul Wells has written a book called um, The Animated Bestiary that talks about this idea of uh, bestial ambivalence, i.e. the ways in which... Um, uh, you can use animated animals or animal-like, human-like characters, but uh, play with elements of that fractured personality. So um, the interplay between culture and intellect versus, uh, I guess, native um, uh, instinct. So intellect and instinct, that animals can be human-like and they can wear clothes and talk, um, but they also might lapse into their non-human identities. Uh, and so he talks about this in relation to the DreamWorks film uh, Madagascar and says that he, call, he calls this the Madagascar problem, that, that characters are pulled between their instinct and their culturing, so their, their animal identity and their ability to be cultured creatures um, who work on the basis of intellect. Um, other writers have talked about cross-species interaction and how it represents a fascinating conundrum for animation more broadly. How does the non-human and human work together? Is that connection verbal? In the case of Bojack Horseman, it's verbal, it's physical, it's sexual. Um, the whole program has an armory of anthropomorphic characters it mixes real-life celebrities with and who voice themselves. Um, so Mr. Peanut Butter has previously been married, if I remember, to Jessica Biel, um, who is voiced by Jessica Biel. Paul McCartney makes a, and a brief appearance, you know, two, three-line vocal appearance. Uh, there are real-life stars who voice fictional characters. There are celebrities that are animal-twisted. So there are film posters that adorn a lot of the walls of... Um, uh, the offices, Hollywood offices. So his girl Friday becomes his squirrel Friday. Um, there's an episode in in season um, one about what it means for a Bojack to have sex with a manatee. I think it's season one, maybe season two. Um, and so the whole program is very clever in the way that it engages with non-human identity. Um, they are human for the most part, but then they will lapse into their non-human identity. So this often plays out in sight gags. So. Uh, characters walking across in the background, and you realise that the the, the lo- our flat is being played by locusts, and it's it's locusts walking around, and um, and so it's it's very clever in the way that it engages with its non-human characters. Um, but yeah, so that's why that's my first little that's my first little thing um, that it plays with non-human identity, uh, and I think the program is deliberately trying to, flu- it fluctuates again in its representation between animals who perform as animals, animals who perform as humans, um, and a lot of the humour is derived from how much they veer towards human and non-human identities. So, a lot of what you said is, is replicated 
as we've talked about on previous podcasts in fantasy uh, literature and the study. I forgot of about the fantasy literature. bit of this podcast. Um, yeah. And um, and animals have been theorised as being sort of rooted, or our interest in animals has been has sort of been rooted in sort of unconscious fantasy, um, the imagination. Uh, I think Freud talks a lot about animal um, imagery in dreams, in his you know interpretation of dreams. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff about um, why it is that we often use, articulate thoughts, emotions through recall to animal imagery and animal characters. Um, and I I want to pick up what you said about fluctuation because I think you're exactly right. Um, if you think of fantasy as a sort of psychological act in this case, um, fantasy being an impulse, a, a an emotional impulse, a something that is pre-rational rather than something that is cognitive, um, relies on um, on a structure, an erotic structure. And I don't mean a sexual structure, I mean erotic structure. A fantasy needs something to push forward to and push against from yeah the, the, the a distance you know mu- much like in the sexual context um erotics requires a, a distance to achieve the attraction um fantasy requires a distance from the real to achieve the attraction and and the way this show fluctuates between distance and similarity is fascinating i think because mm. On one level, you could read this as actually it not really being about animals at all, and it doesn't really matter. It doesn't not really. Yeah, it often but, doesn't but, make the most but, of. But their again, animal. like that is a simplicity that yeah. is that is that belies the complexity of this show. It really matters that they're animals, and it perhaps matters even more when we don't think about them being animals. Mm. Um, it really matters that Bojack is a horse, and it really matters. Um, about other characters, I mean, in different ways, right? So you could argue Bojack's hoarseness is not something that the show interrogates very much. There's a couple of references here or there. When he's in rehab, they have a conversation that he's never had a relationship with a horse mm. and that all his relationships have been with either humans or other animals. Um, but it, but his hoarseness doesn't seem to be bound up in his identity. And yet, if you think about his relationship with women, his relationship with with most people, his physical prowess as a horse, his you know power as you know his physical imposition over other people by being a horse, really plays into all of that, right? It would be a very different if it was um, Bojack Mouseman. Yeah, it'd be very very different yeah. in that kind of dynamic. His his physical imposition is important, and other characters that. Um, it becomes more apparent, like Mr. Mr. Peanut Butter. Mr. Peanut Butter is a Labrador. Mr. Peanut Butter's enthusiasm, simplicity, joy is rooted in his Labradorness. Yeah. So the show is constantly using its animals, and when it's using it at its least explicit, is perhaps when it's most interesting for me. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of the gags around hoarseness or. Peanut, Mr. Peanut Butter's status as a dog, his dogness, um, they're often they often function as as very mild throwaway gags. Um, so when Mr. Peanut Butter, I think, is curious or hears good news, his ears prick up, and he's there's a few episodes or that sort of play with his um, loyalty and devotion that manifest through personality as um, enthusiasm and positivity um, and optimism. Um, so there is different, even within its anthropomorphism, more broadly, the program has different levels of characters. It has 
the middle ground. So perhaps Bojack Horseman is the middle of this. Anthropomorphic characters that are ostensibly humans look like um, animals uh, and offer a mild uh, interrogation of those those competing qualities. Then you have human-like characters, and then you have animals that often play as animals, or more so that play as animals, that aren't afforded human-like kind of connotation. And what I've talked previously about, and that how anthropomorphism might even be a wrong word, that there are other terms that uh, manifest the collision between non-human and human identities. Um, therianthropy, uh, and you get a lot of this in mythology, but therianthropy, so characters that are uh, human-like, that get transformed in fantasy narratives into non-human objects, um, and then at the end they are turned back. But for that brief period where they are candlesticks or they are clocks, they are essentially humans but clothed in non-human form. And that probably explains a lot of animation history. Mickey Mouse, there's not much engagement with his mouseness. He is ostensibly a human. Um, and yet Bojack Horseman, you forget that they are animals and then you're reminded sometimes, but then you, what you're saying, it seems like that you you forget or don't notice because because of something that there is a there's engagement with its with Bojack Horseman's hoarseness that transcends our ability to be reminded so we just take into account and, and his hoarseness becomes a quality of his personality mm -hmm. i.e. he's strong and imposing and um but there are there are other moments in the series so when he has gone to commit suicide at the end of season three he then sees a bunch of horses r running free in a field and then it, it's that's a quite an explicit confrontation of his hoarseness. That horse, he wants to be free. He wants to roam, and um, and so there are different. There is lots of cross-species alliance. So Princess Caroline um, has a relationship with a mouse at one point, and they joke about having, you know, can a cat and a mouse be together? Mm. Um, and yet, and also, and Diane is a human, and she has a relationship and is the wife of Mr. Peanut Butter. So I don't know. I I, I haven't quite worked out its its non-human register, but. Um, Am I, I, I don't feel, I said this to you off air, I don't feel uncomfortable or awkward about the connections between different animals. It doesn't strike me as weird. There's something that's quite kind of democratic or equal about the way that the programme treats its non-human characters when they're placed in relationships. I'm not really making much sense, but... Um, no, I, I think if you, if you see the way they use animals as an erotic, um, if, you imagine, um, if you imagine an accordion... Um, erotics work like an accordion. Okay, so it makes a sound as long as you're pushing forward or as long as you're pulling away. But if you keep, if it, if it remains static, there's no energy, there's no sound. Mm. Well, it's like that with fantasy. Fantasy must push us towards or pull us away, um, or it doesn't have that emotional impulse that that that, that makes it um, a force like that. And the animals help us and help um, the, the show's creators push us towards and pull us away from certain things it wants us to be pushed towards and pull away from, for better and for worse. I'm not talking about just repulsion and attraction here. I'm talking about, I guess, you know, it could be normalised and spectacularised might be another way of putting it. So, to give you some sort of concrete examples, um, sexuality. Is is given an erotic treatment here in that it is it is both spectacularized within the show and normalized within the show. It's spectacularized because you cannot escape the fact, and it, 
noticing the fact that Diane, for example, is a character that has a relationship with a dog. Mm-hmm. She, um, she, you know, her and Bojack have a quasi um, on and off relationship. Um, she um, later um, uh, has a boyfriend who is a, uh, a buffalo. Um, uh, and I believe there are some human characters she has a relationship with as well. Bojack has a relationship with an owl, with um, humans, with um, a cat, um, and there's there's this cross species um, sexuality that extends across the entire spectrum of characters. Um, Todd uh, ends up, I think, with an asexual rabbit, Maud, named Maud. Yeah. Yes, indeed, uh, a sentence I never thought I'd say, but uh, but happy to have said it. Um, so the show is spectacularizing sexu- sexuality. And it is normalizing sexuality because by spectacularizing some aspects of our sexual um, habits, it normalizes labels within contemporary life that we often unnecessarily spectacularize. Todd's asexuality is one of the least interesting things about him as a character. Mm. Um, the show doesn't really, it's not really interested in him confronting, interrogating, worrying, being concerned about that because it, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, but it also, I mean, it, not, 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 it doesn't. It's not. That doesn't mean it dismisses his asexuality as unimportant. But it, it doesn't. It doesn't spectacularize it. It normalizes it. Mm. Um, it does that with lots of different aspects of identity. Race, you know, the cat and mouse thing. It spectacularizes race and it normalizes race at the same time. So is that is that the way in which? Because I'm thinking the use of animals in stories as surrogates or as metaphors or as part of animation's ability to symbolise and to provide abstracted views of um, gender and sexuality and race. Um, mm. Is it that the anthropomorphism in the in the programme allows it to do things, it allows it to comment on things, it allows it to play with um, white and black, but what it does, it maps identity onto speciesism. So it maps it maps identity politics and plays with identity politi- politics in a different way in a world where animals and humans coexist, as they do in this world. Animals and humans coexist, but it plays with their their inter interconnection or it plays with their interplay. Yeah, but it presumably think, allows them to comment on. Things. I think so. I, I, I'm in, I'm in danger of sort of getting you know way too. Um, Jargon filled and and um, and up one's own intellectual vernacular here, but but yeah, I think it not but it, but not in a kind of you know the temptation we say it uses it as a metaphor. Mm. I feel like it's a kind of really mm-hmm. boring way of at least phrasing it. What it does is it, it you know it, it it makes an erotics out of the way it treats it, in that it becomes felt. It becomes you know felt in a, in this in the show when the stripper fish start performing. It spectacularizes stripper. It, it spectacularizes um, a history of female exploitation. It makes it ludicrous, mm. um, and it makes it part of this world. So it makes it, you know, partly normalizes and 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 and, and stop. You know, in life we use fantasy to spectacularize and to normalize. Fantasy helps us to make sense of things that we can't grasp by and helps it become part of our world, normalising it. What am I going to do tomorrow? I'm going to go here. I'm going to take that train there. I'm normalising it as part of my world. And it helps us either helpfully or unhelpfully to spectacularise things. Oh, my God, this thing I'm worried about. Oh, my God. You know, it plays on, on emotions and fears and, and concerns. It alleviates and it and it um, creates. That's, that's, that's and the show's doing yeah. that with The show's that doing that with, with its animated animals. You, well, you've, I know you've talked previously about... Uh, that fantasy is often only seen to mean something if it's metaphorical. Like it can't be treated in and of itself as serious, but the way that we make sense and, and, and qualify fantasy as serious is that it secretly means something else. It's political because it's a metaphor for something else. Well, it's, it secretly works the way that 
a story. It's secret that, that it, you know, the temptation is to say that this show, what's great about this show is, is actually, is actually that this show may as well be a story about a faded 90s star who's a human yeah. living in Hollywood. When actually, that's, 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 that seems to me absurd. Mm. Like, but the, way that the show can... may as well not be, it, it, the show isn't that. Mm. That's why it's clever. But you've, the way that you describe fantasy there about, uh, Drawing attention, pushing and pulling, and drawing. It's attention. the same as it's the same as animation. Yeah. Whether animation, whether it, the act of drawing or the act of animating something is part of one a rhetorical sharpening yeah. and clarity of of that topic, or whether it's part of a dilution or a veiling or a uh, distortion or yeah. a, or yeah, a distancing from it. The act of drawing something is to both claim it and to push it away. Yeah. So that's that's how often how. Um, animation's relationship, historical relationship to politics with a with a capital P, mm-hmm. it's used as propaganda, etc. Whether it is the perfect vehicle with which to indoctrinate and slide in insidious messages, um, or whether actually it undoes the power of the messages it's trying to proclaim because it is animation. Yeah. So animation's position between us and the world, which I assume is similar to fantasy, mm-hmm. fantasy exists between us and the world. Um, Animation's place as an, or status as an intermediary is both one of um, loudspeaker and muffle. We have been going on a, a decent amount now. Have we? Um, yeah, I'm afraid we have. And we, I know the problem is, I don't think we could keep going for another hour. Yes, but, we could. But let's not because that's not how it works. So maybe we should start thinking about what must we say uh, before we wrap up. Have you got anything left on your list? Well, I mean, I, what I do like is how the film plays with. Uh, fictionality. I think it's levels of fictional worldhood. It is a very uh, coherent but also unstable fictional world. Same as Springfield. Same as Quahog. Um, th- as I said before, there are pre- there are there are locations that are continually reused and revisited, and they give a sort of stable core. Um, I th- and I think that's needed by the show um, because it then makes Bojack's departure into different areas of the fictional world all the more powerful. Um, but it is also very clever in the way that it uses sort of a tangling between the world of the telling and the world of the told. Um, and this is something that literary theorists have, have, have looked at in terms of the, uh, an idea that's called um, metalepsis, where it happens a lot in films where characters slip into the promotional material, slip into the credits, or um, f- characters that come out of films into the real world. Uh, Woody Allen does it. Uh, Austin Powers movies have done it. Um, and so it comes from literature, but what I like about Bojack Horseman is that it does it chronologically. It plays with uh, narration, uh, but it plays with our awareness of fictional levels. So we often begin in horsing around and come out. There are several episodes that begin, um, I think, at the beginning of, um, I think it's, I want to say season three, when the Secretariat movie that he stars in early on in the show um, is starting to get successful. Mm. He does promotional junkets for that, but it slips between performance um, and reality. So I like I like the program's awareness of uh, false openings of fictional levels um, and kind of stuff like that as part of its interrogation of the film industry, celebrity culture, um, television production, game shows, um, award season, all those sorts of things. Um, its awareness of its own levels of fictionality, I think, is is important. Um, yeah, I guess that plays into a few of the things we've been saying about sort of character construction, um, mm. its role as animation, its role as fantasy. So yeah, I, I think I think it's. It's slippery, isn't it? What about uh, favorite episodes, favorite seasons, favorite moments? I th- yeah, as I said, I think my favorite episode is is right at the beginning of season four, the old Sugarman place. But I think as a whole, my favorite season is th- season three because it's where I felt more of a seismic shift mm. between the beginning. It's it's the fulcrum, I think, because it's it's you're moving toward you know Sarah Lynn. It's um, 
his relationship with his own family, I think. Yeah. Um, I certainly think that's the moment I sort of really felt comfortable is not the right word because of all the reasons we've just said but um, comfortable that this was going to be a rewarding um, six season watch for me yeah. I don't know if I, I don't know if I ha- I think I steadily got more interested in it as it went along and I found the last season extremely um, uh, emotionally confusing yeah. in a good way um, and I still don't know what I think of the ending and what I think of the show's overall... Well, I don't think it has an overall theme, and not in a bad way. I mean, things don't tie up in a bow, do they? But that's fine. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I, I sort of just I just went with it more and more as it went mm. on. I found the first season a bit of a... Slog. I thought, I, well, yeah. I just thought... Bear in mind, you know, this is a slightly artificial way of doing it, but I thought, we're going to do this show on it. This is going to be a, a, a quite a long investment here, and, and I'm not loving it straight away. But that that is often true of television. Um, uh, so you know, I don't blame it too much for it. I would be, I would be interested in going back and at least watching some of it again. As I say, there's a, um, I have a conflicting relationship to my mm. own interpretation of some of the moments. So I'd like to sort of see what I think about it now, um, with that in mind. But I don't think I'm going to do it straight away. Um, uh, yeah. So that's um, no. I think it re- it certainly rewards. Duplicate viewings. I know it's, it's very. It's a sort of easy thing to say when you. Oh, I'd have to see it again. Well, I don't. I feel like oh, I really my answer is I don't know if it rewards duplicate viewings because mm. I've not duplicately viewed it. But um, I think there are bits to it. Certainly in terms of its. I don't feel like I, I feel like I could penetrate it more. Yeah, I think it's very um, visually detailed. It has a lot of yeah, a lot of sight gags that it sort of throws away um, in the background. Is it's not as ironic in some ways as a lot of um, satire. Certainly on American television, it's it's very. That's what I think shifts. I think it's. St- I feel maybe wrongly at the start. It has a very sarcastic, mm. cynical, ironic edge to it, and ultimately, I think the show isn't that. I, I don't think. The, I think the show is quite sincere in what it is saying. What it is, what it is saying is not very optimistic, but it is saying it, um, mm. and I like that. I, I find a lot of. Um, pop culture I mean Family Guy is not a show I get on with very well and I find it because I just feel it lacks intent and sincerity it lacks you know it's it's all snark and there's no and there's no substance substance and I felt this actually didn't I Mm. thought it was going to be very snarky and I don't think it is I think Bojack's character is very snarky but we are get more and more distance from that position as as it goes on. But that so there we go. I think that the snarkiness is reserved not for the tone of the program as a whole, but as a way that the program marks out particular characters as incongruous with the world around them. That his snarkiness has consequences. Yeah. That his snarkiness will sever relationships with his family, um, both past and present. They have. Um, but also his his relationships with his close friends or his inability to hold on to close friends. It's not. Yeah. It's not. It the, the snark is not central to its status as satire as parody, but fundamental to its characters as believable. Potentially, we live in a world of sarcastic folk yeah. and sincere folk. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, I, I, yeah. The, the postmodern condition is is irony and and, and snark. Yeah. 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 Um, um, so and certain celebrities have built a career out of it of being ironic and 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 so yeah, I think this is. This is much more of a um, sincere treatment. I'm not going to. It's not. I mean, I'm not going to use the word realistic, though. I believe I have over the last hour and a bit. Um, but it is. It is fictionally real, or it is fictionally. Um, its fictional world is is rooted in certain parallels with the real that you don't often often see. But that's also not to say that it doesn't make the most of its status as animation, which is, as you say, allows it to to use 
anthropomorphism as part of its register. Well, look, I'm sure we could have said more, and I'm sure there are bits that people would like to have asked to have talked about that we haven't. In which case, they can get in yeah, touch. Yeah, in which case, get, get in touch yes. and, and either bug us about it on Twitter. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Fananim Research, F-A-N-A-N-I-M. I messed it up for the first time you in ages. You did. F-A-N-A-N-I-M Research. I'm going to leave that in and make sure people know that this is... Uh, this is uh, the rough the around the edges. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, you can find us on Facebook. You can talk to us there, and perhaps we can have a conversation on that. But yeah, if someone feels like this is not the definitive word on BoJack, and someone else needs to say more, come and write a blog post for us. We'd absolutely. love to read. Um, there's there's definitely more to say. There's definitely more to say. This is just hopefully a little um, intro to the to the show. Uh, in um, the, and in thanks the, for your suggestion yeah. of watching it, listeners. We'll, I know. Um, we'll try and source you for another one soon. But uh, <laughs> as you can see, that took a while. So we'll. Um, so in the in the meantime, maybe pick something that's got one season. Yeah, yeah. Some um, it was cancelled. Yeah. Um, Someone's going to say The Simpsons. Next, yeah, so yeah. Right, off we go. We <laughs> also have a couple of screenings left in our Cinema Museum series. Mm. So uh, later this month, in a couple of weeks' time, actually, on Friday the twenty eighth of February, you'll be able to come down to the Cinema Museum in Kennington, London, to see uh, the Dark Crystal. So me and Alex in conversation there, uh, introducing the film, talking a little bit about its status as a fantasy animation, a bit of performance, a bit of puppetry, um, and you can get tickets on the Cinema Museum website, Cinema Museum. .org.uk There may be a Landstrider or two Yeah, that, well, That'll be hilarious in a couple of weeks I was going to say I've not seen the film yeah. so I, I, I your humour works best when it's in anticipation yeah. um, and then we also have uh, as the concluding uh, screening uh, Yellow Submarine so a film that we've already done uh, as a podcast so That'll be an exclusive live event we're not going to um, release that in any way shape or form so you'll have to come down and, and um uh, listen for yourselves exactly um, and we've got a special guest so please do uh, have a little look on the website um, and get your tickets um, that's been us for another uh, episode um, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time bye, bye.